Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Vote of confidence for AstraZeneca. The benefits of the vaccine continue to outweigh its risks. Why it's okay for Canada and how the newest vaccine is being deployed. A glimpse of the future in Prince Rupert. I hope we can have a big party. Why this B.C. community could be the first to get past the pandemic. And turned back at the border. And the border denied me and said it's not essential. Missed medical appointments because of confusion at the Point Roberts Crossing. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The Oxford AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine has been greenlit for wider use in Canada and will soon be going into more arms here in BC. In a reversal of its own guidance issued earlier this month, Canada's National Advisory Committee on Immunization now says it is safe for adults over 65. Ted Chernecki explains. The AstraZeneca vaccine is coursing through the veins of at least 374 British Columbians right now and will soon be in as many as 68,000. How was it? It was bad. (laughs) That's how many doses arrived from India last week. Another 136,000 will arrive in April, 68,000 more in May. But many European and Scandinavian countries have temporarily halted the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine over rare but concerning blood clots. When you vaccinate millions of people, it's inevitable that you have rare or serious incidences of illnesses that occur after vaccination. And our role at the EMA is to evaluate these to make sure that any suspected adverse reactions are rapidly investigated. And just last week, Health Canada was recommending no one over 65 get that vaccine. But today, it's saying over 65 is okay. That this isn't a flip-flop, but more of a reaction to real-world data. Health Canada is aware of reports of serious adverse events in Europe following immunization with the AstraZeneca vaccine, but wants to reassure Canadians that the benefits of the vaccine continue to outweigh its risks. Perhaps not a flip-flop, but a royal pain, according to Ontario's Premier. They're changing and moving the goalpost. I, I can't begin to tell you how, the logistics behind it. Um, It just messes everything up, to be very frank with you. Now, health authorities here believe only a certain batch of the vaccine made in Austria may be affected. All of our vaccines come from India. We are confident that that is not a risk that we are seeing here in Canada with the AstraZeneca, the Serum Institute of India vaccine that we have here, the Covishield vaccine, and we'll be watching this very carefully. A new survey from the Leger Group asks Canadians about their vaccine preferences. 51% said they would get vaccinated when first offered, regardless of brand. But a quarter of those surveyed said they would wait for the vaccine they want. 12% said they wouldn't get vaccinated at all, and another 12% didn't know. And because a virus knows no political boundaries, the survey asked Americans the same questions. And a full third said they would not get vaccinated at all, and another 16% didn't know. Attention at Global News. 
BC's mass vaccination program is picking up the pace, but still lagging behind other provinces. And BC's pharmacists are wondering why they've so far been shut out of the process. As Richard Zussman reports, they say they already have a vaccination infrastructure that could help speed things up. It's where you can buy toothpaste, groceries, medicine. But one thing you can't get at a British Columbia community pharmacy, a COVID-19 vaccine. This channel could do a lot especially as more volume comes into the country. British Columbia, one of the few jurisdictions in Canada where you can't get it. It started in Alberta in March. Ontario has administered tens of thousands of doses since just last week, and Quebec pharmacies started booking appointments Monday. We have millions and millions of customers across the country that go to our stores frequently. They know their pharmacist by name. They know the front, the cashier. They know the, the, the team in the front. So I think it's an element of trust. There are almost 1,400 pharmacies in BC. Most British Columbians live within a 10-minute drive of one. So why has the province not yet utilized them for the shot? Up to now, we've had limited amounts of vaccine. That's going to go more open, and we're, of course, going to use the whole workforce. Using pharmacies far more complicated than just supply. British Columbia directly delivered vaccine to vulnerable communities, including Indigenous communities, more so than Alberta. And Pfizer and Moderna were originally not stable enough to be delivered at places like this. They now can be, and pharmacists believe they can be integrated into BC's age-based approach. It's quite easy for pharmacies to do it because um, date of birth is, is one of the requirements to fill prescriptions. That data already exists in the database. The province did use pharmacies to administer more than a million flu shots. The BC Liberals say the government not using the pharmacy network for COVID shots is slowing down the overall delivery. We can't brag about doing an influenza program of a million over four months when we have to get 682,000 out in three weeks. We need to use every access available to us. There is a guarantee that eventually you'll be able to get your COVID shot at a BC pharmacy. But as to when, the health minister only leaving this hint. So stay tuned for later in the week. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, all right then. All right, let's take a look at the latest numbers for today. We have 556 new cases. That brings BC's total to just under 89,000, with almost 5,000 active cases. There are 280 people in hospital. 84 are in the ICU. That is the highest ICU number we've seen since December 18th. Now, the good news, we've had no new deaths. So that number holds at 1,407. And yesterday, we did 15,414 vaccinations in the province. Keith Baldry joins us with more on the numbers. Keith, let's start with the variants of concern. We've mm. seen another notable uptick there. Yes, indeed. We're not as bad a situation as Ontario, where literally half the cases every day of COVID-19 are one of the variants, one or the other of the three variants in Canada. But in BC, the numbers are starting to escalate. It was 10% of the total over the weekend, 21% overnight. So we've got two, 996 total cases. On the left there, you see 116 new cases since yesterday. That 130 is the active cases. Good news there, it's down 65 from yesterday. And then on the right is how the variants break down. The vast majority, 160. 17 are of the UK or B117 uh, variant. 12 now of the Brazilians moved into second place. We only recently had our first case there. That is now a, a above and beyond the South African variant, which is only has one active case. So again, cause for concern. We're not quite at the part of the point where Ontario is at right now, but keep an eye on those variant numbers in the weeks ahead. 
Okay, back to our uh, overall numbers, Keith. And they do seem to be stuck at this stubborn plateau in the mm-hmm. 500s. What have you found out about where the active cases are? Yeah, the pattern hasn't shifted either of where the cases are. It started to get away from Fraser and Vancouver, if you recall, in the late, uh, early winter, uh, but that's changed now. Take a look at where the active cases are, almost 5,000 active cases. Uh, Again, the vast majority in Fraser and Vancouver Coastal. 82% of the cases are in those two health authorities and very little active cases in the rest of the province, which raises a question, Sophie. Later in the week, we're going to get an announcement from a public health team of where the AstraZeneca, the next batch of 136 doses, will go to certain workers who are deemed to be vulnerable or particularly exposed to the virus. It'll be interesting to see whether geography plays a role here, whether or not a a person working that particular job in, say, a place like Cranbrook, which doesn't have a lot of COVID, uh, will be treated different than a person, say, doing the same job, but in Surrey, where there is a lot of COVID-19. We expect to get that announcement and the details of it on Thursday. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. To the northwestern community of Prince Rupert now, where it's day two of mass immunizations, and the community is actually ahead of schedule. Ahmad Agahi is live in Prince Rupert Forest tonight with more on the path forward. And Ahmad, why people there are feeling quite optimistic. Well, Chris, now that we know that the mass vaccination plan here in Prince Rupert is at least two days ahead of schedule and that every adult could have a shot in their arm, perhaps by the end of the week, it begs the question, how does that change the lifestyle of the people here? If optimism had a sound, this might be it. In all 96 years Charlotte Rouse has lived in Prince Rupert, the last was naturally the most difficult especially because she's well-known to have one of the most bubbly, (laughs) vivacious personalities around. Everybody's just been sitting at home, and uh, uh, we're not used to that. She's also now one of more than a 1,000 people in the community with a COVID-19 vaccine. Before I knew it, I had this shot. I didn't even know what arm it was. It was so easy. The mass vaccination effort in Prince Rupert has been so successful Northern Health is now offering anyone over 18 an appointment for immunization. Latte, please. Oh, sure, yeah. There was a lot of tough times. Fortunately, I got, got through it with a bit of hard work. For the first time since last March, the outlook towards the future for this small town is beginning to shift. This is really exciting that we can try to get back to a little bit more normal and have more people come out and enjoy all the great local restaurants we have, the atmosphere. It is realistic to think that everyone living here will very soon have nearly full immunity to the virus. But what about the masks, social distancing, and COVID protocols? It's tempting to want to let our guard down, but we know that we can't. We need herd immunity for, you know, not just this community, but for the entire province. Right now, we've got to dig in, even when you're immunized and absolutely follow public health orders. Thanks a lot. Prince Rupert residents may have been front of the line for the vaccine, but it appears they will wait just like everyone else in the province to ease restrictions. And when that finally happens, Charlotte Rouse knows exactly how she'll celebrate. After this COVID number and we all get vaccinated, I hope we can have a big party at our house, a big potluck party. How about that? How about that indeed? Let's hope it happens sooner rather than later. Ahmad, you reported uh, that COVID took a devastating toll on a long-term care center in that community. Have you got an update on that situation? 
Yeah, there's news from Northern Health that the nearly two and a half month long outbreak at Acropolis Manor where 16 residents died, that has officially been ended now. Chris. All right. Good news from up there. Thanks very much, Ahmad. The BC Teachers Federation is again pushing for a wider mask mandate, and this time they're pointing to new WorkSafe BC data to back up their calls. As Kylie Stanton reports, the union says figures show elementary school teachers are contracting COVID-19 at an alarming rate compared to their colleagues in secondary schools. Spring break means kids are getting outside, breathing the fresh air. The masks are off, at least for now. Anytime we're approaching civilization, we always put them on. But they're currently not required in elementary schools. And according to the BC Teachers Federation, those educators are paying the price. We are very concerned about the numbers that we're seeing, and it paints an alarming picture. New data published by WorkSafe BC shows elementary school teachers are contracting COVID-19 at more than triple the rate of secondary teachers. As of March 11th of this year, there were 80 occupational COVID-19 infection claims approved for K-7 teachers, compared to only 25 for those teaching grades 8 to 12. And the numbers are continuing to climb. In the two weeks since the WorkSafe numbers were last updated, there have been an additional 31 claims by WorkSafe workers in the public school sector, an increase of nearly 15%. It's disheartening to know that our elementary school colleagues just are not as safe, and so there's still a long way to go in terms of the preventative measures. The education sector remains only second to healthcare services when it comes to the total number of compensation claims filed with WorkSafe BC for occupational COVID-19 infections. The BCTF says enhancing the mask mandate in schools could be what it takes to turn that around. But so far, the provincial health officer and BC government are holding firm. There is considerable work done all the time uh, between school districts and health authorities uh, in, in districts to ensure that, uh, that we're responding to the situation in communities, in schools, as it's unfolding. According to the Ministry of Education, on the direction of Dr. Henry, elementary student mask use is based on their personal or family-slash-caregiver's choice. And so while the BCTF continues to advocate for stronger measures, it's hoping parents will continue to do their part to keep everyone safe. I think mass is the best resort you have under the circumstances until you know you're fully protected with a vaccine. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, a few places have been more affected by the U.S.-Canada border closure than Point Roberts. The Washington State enclave exists just on the other side of the border in South Delta. Its citizens rely on health services in Tawasin, treatments which until recently have been considered an essential service. But things have changed, and that's causing some confusion and, in some cases, suffering. Catherine Urquhart reports. Along the Canada-U.S. border, Point Roberts resident Pamela Robertson visits her daughter, Ruve, who was on the Canadian side. We're worried. I don't know what, what we can do. Lately, 71-year-old Pamela has been in a lot of pain related to an abscessed tooth and root canal. But Canadian border guards are refusing her entry, even though she's midway through treatment. I tried to get across the border on the 9th of March to go and get my teeth fixed, and they wouldn't allow me to go over. They said it was not essential. Brian Calder was also denied entry to Canada to see a specialist for macular degeneration, which his doctor deemed essential. If I don't get it attended to 
reasonably quickly that that I'll lose the vision, period, and it won't, and it'd be irreversible. And the border denied me and said it's not essential. Canadian border guards started denying entries on February 22nd when the Canadian government increased testing and quarantine measures. A trip must be deemed essential or requires proof of a negative COVID test within 72 hours before entry. But in Point Roberts, testing is only done on Sunday. So once we do the exams, uh, those tests go down to Bellingham for diagnostic uh, testing, and then we normally get the results back uh, sometime midday on Monday. Test results expire by Wednesday, making it tricky to plan appointments, which border guards can then deem non-essential. Pamela says she was told that even a negative test wouldn't help. They told me no, Catherine, they told me no. CBSA told Global News it won't comment on specific cases. Exceptions to the quarantine rule will be made for Point Roberts residents with emergency health issues. And border officers will review and consider each crosser's circumstance and use their discretion to determine eligibility. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. For the second year in a row, the annual Vaisakhi Parade in Surrey has been cancelled. The event typically draws 500,000 guests to celebrate one of the most significant days in the Sikh calendar. People of all cultures take in the parade, enjoy performances and dig into delicious food. Organizers say there's no way it could be held safely within the next three months due to the pandemic. So the event is now postponed until 2022. New studies so children can get the shots too. The latest on clinical trials by major vaccine makers to cut the risk of infection in kids. Coming up next on the News Out. The giant airbag helping Apex jump to the top of freestyle training facilities. That's coming up on the News Hour. And Buble on Blades. How the superstar is making the best of COVID restrictions right here at home in BC. Right now, though, the quest to get the entire world vaccinated against COVID-19 took another major step forward today. Moderna says it has officially begun testing its vaccine on children. It's part of a broad study in Canada and the U.S. to determine the right dose for the best outcome in younger people. In the race to end the pandemic, an overlooked group is now rolling up its tiny sleeves. I felt like I was, yeah, just helping. With Moderna's vaccine already being administered to adults around the world, the drug manufacturer is now testing its product on children. I mean, I heard the word vaccine and I immediately just sort of fell in. The trial, known as KidCove, will enlist more than 6,700 children from both Canada and the U.S., ranging from 6 months to 12 years old, and will have two parts. Part one will split groups, under and over two years old, giving two shots with varying dosage levels. Part two will add more children, using the dosage results from part one. Each child will be followed for one year after their second dose. I wanted them to be an example, to set an example, to say, hey, this vaccine is safe. Several trials for children are underway, but this is the first for people under 12. In the U.S., teens could be vaccinated by this fall, but Canada's National Advisory Committee on Immunization doesn't have the same optimism. We're not expecting anything for children before the end of 2021. Some doctors have questioned the need to test vaccines on young children, while others say it's a vital component for research. We want to make a careful assessment of the safety issues as well as the effectiveness. 
COVID-19's impact on kids has not been the same as adults. Children can be carriers. And last spring, an inflammatory disease linked to the virus hospitalized hundreds. All the more reason to do careful trials to determine the effectiveness and the safety of these vaccines in children of every age group. Achieving herd immunity will be crucial to beat COVID-19. 17% of Canada's population and 25% of the U.S. is under 14. Immunity for them could help end the threat of COVID-19 for all. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Up next, a massive supportive housing development to be built right across the street from an elementary school. The biggest fear is is the sheer size. Kitsilano residents want some input on the plan for housing that will dwarf anything else in the neighborhood. And coming up later in sports, how BC pulled a 180, producing some of the top skateboarding Olympians. Traffic is nice and steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but keep in mind winter cable maintenance is happening tonight for some reason. Southbound right lane is blocked from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. Kermac Collision and Auto Glass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs with your insurance coverage, and Kermac donates 100% of their income from chip repairs through Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Parents in a Vancouver neighborhood are worried about a new proposal for supportive housing, which they fear will jeopardize their safety and the safety of their children. As Grace Key reports, the project is going to be right across the street from an elementary school, a preschool and a playground. Nestled between a private Catholic school and playground in this west side Vancouver neighborhood could be the future site of a 12-story supportive housing complex with 140 units. This is a mock-up drawn by a concerned resident. We want BC Housing and the city to understand that a more diverse group of residents should occupy the building. You know, people with accessibility issues, you know, single moms, low-income families, and seniors. Something that's, you know, a smaller unit like three stories. It won't be filled entirely with people who have multiple barriers. Uh, There will be people who have uh, addictions and mental health issues that will be supported in the building. But there will also be people who have just been outside for a long time who need to come inside and don't require that level of support. So there will be a mix of tenants in the building. Out of supportive housing and the impact that it's had. In a BC Housing Zoom meeting, parents at St. Augustine were told the building would be staffed 24-7, consisting of one or two people. There are no criminal background checks on residents and there is a potential for drug use. People will be able to use drugs in the building. Um, and that is part of providing supportive housing. Uh, But that's to minimize impacts on the community, not to increase them. Uh, People from outside the building will not be coming in uh, to to use drugs. It's not operating like a safe injection site. So Sancta Maria House is located just there, not even half a block away. Parents point out they have a close, supportive relationship with a neighborhood recovery home, but it houses less than a dozen women with addiction issues. So over those 18 years, we have supported more than 200 uh, women uh, through this program. And really, that culture of and mission of support for the vulnerable has been part of our school community for the last 110 years. Parents have been active in getting the word out on the supportive housing project. The next Neighborhood Dialogue session is on Thursday. Grace Key, Global News. The reward in a case involving a missing cowboy from Merritt has now been doubled. Ben Tyner's riderless horse was found January 28, 2019, wandering on a logging road off Highway 97. Tyner was manager of the Nicola Ranch and had only been in Merritt for around three months before he vanished. 
Police believe he was a victim of foul play, but two years later, there have been no arrests and no sign of him. The owner of the ranch has decided to chip in another $15,000, bringing the total reward to 30000 Conservation officers say they have trapped and euthanized a cougar in Port Moody. Three cougars were spotted Sunday in a residential area of Port Moody. Efforts were made to scare them away, but with no success. Since late summer, three dogs have been killed and two others injured by the big cats. And in recent days, many cougars have been spotted in yards and near people, showing no fear of humans. Still ahead, a real-life screensaver. I don't want to get rid of autism because that's what, what makes me who I am. She's playing a new video game, helping bring out the best in children who learn differently. And the sudden passing of an influential figure in politics. What Ian Waddell accomplished for BC. I think there are still questions that need to be answered here. This was a high risk, high reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. How do you grow as a human being if you're not going to open your ears and listen? Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. North and southbound traffic are problem-free and not too far away. Recently cleared a crash involving a pedestrian at Steeston Highway and Number 1 Road. For 47 years, Kermac Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A driver is in hospital with serious injuries after a multi-vehicle crash involving a lower mainland ERT vehicle in Guilford. The collision happened about 1.30 this afternoon in the intersection of 100 Avenue and 148th Street. A badly damaged small car, a white SUV and a black truck were all involved. That black truck is a lower mainland emergency response team vehicle. The driver of the Honda was taken to hospital. Many streets in the area remain closed and motorists are advised to avoid the area. The Independent Investigations Office of B.C. is investigating. Witnesses and those with dash cam video are being asked to contact the IIO. Shock and sadness in B.C. political circles today after the sudden death of a well-known B.C. politician. Former MLA and Cabinet Minister Ian Waddell passed away Sunday night in his sleep at the age of 78. Waddell served as a federal member of Parliament for B.C. for 14 years and a provincial MLA for five. During his career, he took part in drafting parts of the Canadian Constitution Act and, as B.C. Tourism Minister, was instrumental in helping win the 2010 Winter Games for Vancouver. Waddell was also an author and a filmmaker and has worked as a consultant in, in environmental, governmental and Aboriginal affairs. He had an energy for life. Uh, Mike Farmer told me today, he talked to him last Thursday. He was full of plans and ideas and interests and things he wanted to see us do and things he wanted to do um, here in the legislature. He was the president of the Association of Former MLA. So that's who he was from the beginning of his life to the end of his life. Dell died suddenly and unexpectedly just this past Sunday. Hours before he passed away, he tweeted this view of Vancouver from his deck calling it paradise. Mm. Few would argue. Well, one year ago, the declaration that threw vacation plans into chaos, a ban on all non-essential travel across the land border to the United States. Also starting a year ago, Canada's aviation industry began a financial nosedive. And as Global Sean O'Shea reports, hundreds of thousands of jobs still hang in the balance. 
What a difference a year makes. In March of 2020, land borders between Canada and the United States were closed, except for essential travel. It's still the case today. But those in the aviation industry weren't just inconvenienced, they were hit hard. It's been a year since our members in the aviation sector were grounded by the pandemic. A year since capacity plummeted in passenger traffic nearly ground to a complete halt. A year of the pandemic has left the aviation industry in its worst shape in history. Travelers are still encouraged to stay home. Well, it's not going to be predictable anytime soon. I, I just don't see it with the variants on the rise. And despite repeated promises from the federal government, there's still no sign of an aid plan for the industry. We're drowning and this government appears to be torn between lifting us out of the water or pushing us under completely. We need to make sure that we are able to fly again as soon as the restrictions are lifted. Here at City Centre Airport, the typically busy skies are now almost empty. Porter Airlines flew its last flight on March 20th. The airline is hoping to restart by late May, but its plans have been put off before. In the meantime, pilots and flight staff at many carriers sit idle. Across the country, air traffic controllers are watching as many of their skilled jobs disappear. Nav Canada continues pursuing a dangerous course that will have a predictable adverse impact on safety and will jeopardize the ability of the air transportation industry's recovery. As the industry waits, travel operators are trying to convince consumers to buy future travel with the promise of refunds if they can't fly. I think the deals now are better than they're going to get in a while. I, I would tell people if you can find uh, a deal where it's guaranteed that you can get your money back without a big hassle. After a year of flight interruptions, no one's predicting when normal travel will be possible or what the industry will look like months from now. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. In Health Matters tonight, BC and Alberta researchers are working on a new video game to help children with autism and other neurological delays. Linda Aylesworth has the details and how families can register to be a part of the research. So in order I have to collect a camera, a shell, a leaf, an egg. Not all video games are merely about entertainment. So which strategy are you going to use to remember the items? Sally, I make a story. Dino Island was developed at the University of Victoria to help children with special needs, like 12-year-old Addison, who has autism. Okay, so there once was a camera who, who took pictures of nests with the new fashion leaves. Addison does have some trouble with um, attention. She gets distracted very easily, loses focus and sometimes get frustrated. Helping children to focus and remember sequences are just a few of the neurological skills that Dino Island was designed to help build. As um, children exercise these abilities and as they progress through the games, um, then they have to focus on it for an extended period of time. Why deliver therapy in the form of a video game? In order to drive brain change, that we need to have a lot of practice and repetition, um, and that engagement is really important, and that this can be done through a video game format. Dino Island is still in the study phase. To gather data, participants, like Addison, are asked to don something called a neurocatch that measures brain function. So by doing this assessment before, middle, and after the intervention, 
we're able to track the changes that have happened and compare it from where we started and to where we are now to when, or when we finished. They hope to complete the study and make it widely available in the next year or so. The goal with this partnership was to develop something that could be um, accessible widely at, a, at an affordable cost, but that's also effective. While Addison enjoys being in the study, her real motivation is purely altruistic. There's some autistic kids that can't even speak properly. I feel bad. I mean, it wasn't their fault they got put with autism. It's not their fault. So I just want to try and help. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well done. Well done, Addison. Still ahead, high-flying fun at Apex. Very interesting feeling, right? The new airbag providing a safe landing for freestylers. And from crooner to coach, Michael Buble shares his love of hockey with his wife and millions more. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Smells like fried food in the studio. We're not hungry. sure why, but it's happening. It's, it smells like fried chicken, and whoever is making it needs to bring it here now. <laughs> they need to now. share it. All right, beautiful. Yvonne's in for uh, uh, Christy tonight, and another beautiful spring day out there today. It was gorgeous. A couple of shots of the sunrise this morning. This one was captured in Sydney by Michael. Another gorgeous shot from Piper's Lagoon Park, and this one was taken by Bob. We're currently seeing the sunset this evening, and it's just overlooking English Bay on our tower cam. Temperatures today got up to 8 degrees. We're currently sitting at 7 with the westerly wind at 6 kilometers per hour. It'll cool off, though, a heads up. Overnight tonight, we're down to 2. We've got more cloud cover that is going to roll in a different weather picture for tomorrow, but it still remains dry and temperatures hoping to get into the double digits at 11. Rainfall will be along the northern half of the province for coastal areas and then easing off to a chance of showers through the day. Still remaining dry for the southern half and then the next weather maker and frontal system is going to work its way in on Thursday and that's where we'll be starting to see some rainfall. Rainfall amounts on one of the models showing us 20 and potentially up to 30 millimeters by Thursday night, so a heads up. The northern half of the province will start to see showers towards the afternoon. It's dry for the northeastern corners, much of the central interior for tomorrow underneath a partly cloudy sky. Mild for the southern interior, double digits areas near the central Okanagan climbing up to 14 degrees. Cloud cover for Whistler tomorrow with highs up to 10 in all areas along the south coast. So we'll see cloud cover will remain dry. We've got a range in temperatures between 11 areas away from the water up to 13 degrees. The heavier rainfall moving in on Thursday. It'll be wet and windy for Friday. First day of spring so far looks to be on and off showers for tomorrow, though. We'll see that cloud cover and temperatures up to 11 degrees. Tonight's weather window, another gorgeous shot of the sunrise, and this one captured in Port McNeil by Chris. Guys. Thank you very much, Yvonne. We hope everybody was just taken by the photo earlier because we misspelled Sydney. Apologies to anybody yes. who lives there. Not the one in Australia. Right. The one Sorry. on Vancouver Island. That's okay. That's okay. I don't want to call you out publicly, but come on. We no, no, it. we should say it. But it's we okay. just did it anyway. Yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on. A new video is making the rounds, showing off Michael Bublé's hockey skills at his home's private hockey rink. <laughs> you know, that guy's handsome, but don't forget Argentinian actress Luisana Lapolaro challenges her husband to a skills competition. Buble scores the game-winning goal while rocking a Vancouver Giants jersey. And you can see some other famous jerseys lining the walls there as well. The home rink was built in 2016 in the singer's Burnaby Mansion and seems to be one of the places the couple have been enjoying in recent days. Yesterday, the singer shared some pictures of a date night in Stanley Park as well. 
How romantic. So cute. Mm -hmm. All right, Squire's here now. What do you have for us, Squire? See, if you're going to quarantine, you should have your own rink. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Right. So much more fun. Uh, the uh, Canucks MVP this month, I, I know it's not been a great season, but let's say he's the MVP so far this season. That's or Demko. Without him, Vancouver's slim playoff chances would be pretty much zero. Just developing into a good young goalie. Uh, he's playing very, very well right now. That's for sure. But is this the return of Bubble Demko from last summer? We'll ask the coach. Also coming up, peak performance. The new airbag at Apex that makes it a soft landing for training the best freestyle skiers. You look good. I was I was gonna say get your act together, but everybody else seems to think you're. Just Actually, you know what? What you say is. <laughs> I mean, Sophie's just being nice. But I've wired. I think your tie looks fine. Wires sticking out of me. My ties whacked. I I also I'm, have bad eyesight, so I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate your poor eyesight. <laughs> uh, we mentioned last night how the Canucks have gone five and one without their best player, Elias Pettersson, and that's because with him out. Thatcher Demko has become Vancouver's best player. They aren't 5-1 and one in their last six without Demko. They don't even beat Ottawa last night without Demko. And people are wondering aloud if the Demko we are seeing right now is the return of bubble Demko, which is even better than bubble tea <laughs> by just a bit. Uh, because... Bubble Demko nearly stole the series against Vegas last summer. Travis Green says, don't compare. Don't put extra pressure on Thatcher. I don't know. I don't really like to compare the two. He played three games. Uh, you know, it might have been the best three games of hockey I've seen out of a goalie in a row. Uh, I think it's unfair for people to expect uh, they keep talking about that time. I think he's just developing into a good young goalie. Uh, and he's playing very, very well right now. Now, the Canucks are still in Ottawa. They will play the Senators one more time tomorrow night. And when they do, they might have Tyler Mott back in the lineup. He's been out since early February, but he was skating on a third line at practice today. That brings a lot to our team um, that goes unnoticed. He's, he's got a lot of energy in his game. He, his pace is high, um, which certain nights I think we need that. I thought last night was one of them. I thought we, we lacked some speed last night. I, I, I didn't think we skated that well. And... Uh, you know, he's a good penalty killer. He's got a good touch with the puck. He was off to a good start this year, and uh, we definitely miss him. So it'll be good to get him back. When the BCHL uh, starts its short season, it'll do it in five different pods. We're hearing Chilliwack, Coquitlam, Port Alberni, Vernon, and Penticton. They'll divide up the teams into these five places. But one team that won't be participating is Langley. It has decided to opt out of the season. It was really because they have so many kids that are in high school that uh, they pulled their team and it was very difficult for, uh, for those kids to be able to uh, see themselves going online at the end of the school year uh, for five weeks. So uh, that added to a, a two-week quarantine where they'd literally have uh, no contact with anybody was just going to be too hard. 
Now, if the Tokyo Olympics go off as planned, it'll be the first one with skateboarding as a medal sport. And that's good news for Canada because we are one of the top nations in the world at skateboarding. And that's due in large part to the skateboarding culture that was built on the West Coast. This is how Canadian skateboarders, particularly those from BC, became some of the best on the planet. Skate parks, they're everywhere and they're producing Olympians. It's a little bit of like one of those field of dreams, like if you build it, they will come and we're seeing that with our national champion is from Kamloops, Matt Berger for Street. And uh, he was just a kid when the Kamloops skate park has, got built. And the skate parks are built for both Olympic disciplines, street. So you're jumping down stair sets, you're sliding down rails, you're, you're, you're grinding ledges, etc. And park. Park skateboarding side of thing is derived from kids would be draining out their backyard swimming pools, trying to get out of the pool, see how high, how high you can go, and, and sliding and grinding the, the edge of the pool. And because kids can use these parks freely, stars like the aforementioned Matt Berger develop their skills. Like I said, he's just been that Grom skateboard kid at the skate park since he was nine years old. He's always had really fast feet. Skateboarding differs from snowboarding in that way, where snowboarding, it's you want really heavy feet and you want to be grounded on the board so you can deal with the chunder of the different uh, snow textures. With skateboarding, it's you're almost like a ballerina on the board. You have to be really light on your feet and quick. Another Canadian Olympian who was discovered at a skate park is 11-year-old Faye Ebert from Toronto. She had that, like, kind of je ne sais quoi that you can't teach. You know, she, you, you could tell that she was a lifer right away, always wanting to go faster, higher, bigger. And even at nine years old, she was almost kind of like this feral child that was born on a skateboard. Because Canada is one of the top skateboarding nations, we can send a team of 12 to Tokyo. And medals are definitely a possibility. This team that has come together is, you know, has already made us proud. Um, and, you know, we've been very close to podiuming at World Championships before, and it just takes a, it takes a good morning. All right, Charlie Montoya getting his uh, contract picked up for the 2022 season. Did a good job at the Blue Jays last year in the shortened season. Uh, Toronto opens its regular campaign April 1st against the Yankees. And Tiger Woods is back home. Oh, good. Uh, how's his ankle? Uh, it's going to take a while, but uh, he's happy that everybody has been sending him good wishes. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Sarah McDonald now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Sarah? Yeah, Chris Sophie, coming up at 11, we'll have the latest on the police-involved collision in Surrey that sent a civilian to hospital with serious injuries, plus tragedy on Gabriola Island, where two men have been killed in an accident involving a toppled crane. And assault charges have been laid in connection to that anti-mass confrontation captured on video at a Canadian tire in Burnaby last month. We'll tell you who is set to appear in court and all your top stories tonight at 11. Guys. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Sarah. And coming up for us, we're going to stick the landing here on the news hour with a story about the new addition at Apex Resort. You'll flip over. That's next. Apex Mountain is taking steps to cement its place as Western Canada's freestyle skiing capital. 
with a state-of-the-art piece of training equipment. The landing bag is one of only two of its kind in Canada. Global's Travis Lowe has more on what it is and how it helps athletes hone their craft. An absolute bluebird day at Apex as competitive freestyle skiers lean into the resort's new bag jump landing bag. This new airbag at Apex Mountain Resort is absolutely phenomenal as far as a new asset here for the freestyle club. Because the bag provides a safe landing for skiers as they attempt to nail more and more complicated jumps. Get a little bit more pressure and press through the shins longer. Former Olympic freestyle skier and hometown hero Christy Richards was the driving force behind acquiring the bag. There's about a meter and a half of air in these things. The bag jump landing bag was custom built in Austria at a cost of $100,000. This one is 14 meters by 27 meters long. The pitch is at a 26 to 28 degree slope. So what's it like landing on the airbag? It's a very interesting feeling, right? It's kind of like if you could imagine, it's a big pillow to get you from going from trampoline onto bag onto snow. It's an amazing stepping stone. To give you an idea, we strapped a camera on Charlie Roberts for a first-person perspective. Roberts is all smiles about the new bag, knowing it will prevent him from losing any more teeth to bad landings. It's a great progression piece for us. Because the bag's guaranteed soft landing removes the mental barrier of serious injury. Try on here first, know that I got it, and I can go bring it on to the real snow. But while flipping out over and into the airbag may look like a lot of fun, the bag itself is only for competitive freestyle skiers. Near Penticton, Travis Lowe, Global News. I mean, I feel kind of better because I know you want to go up there and well, use it. Travis just burned us all with that last line. How, how many people would love to try that? I guess you got to get into freestyle skiing. That's the only way. There you go. Yeah. All right, Yvonne gets the final word on the weather. Uh, it was beautiful today. We've got more cloud cover, but still remaining dry for tomorrow. The rain's going to start to move in on Thursday, and it'll be wet and windy on Friday, so a heads up. Temperatures, however, tomorrow still getting into the double digits. We're looking to see 11 degrees for our St. Patrick's Day and a dry one leading in towards the, the afternoon and evening. Well, hopefully we'll find some rainbows. That's right. So we can get that pot of gold. I'll be <laughs> off for a couple of days, so Erin Gobra or Slantia, as they say. <laughs> Have a great night, everybody. I think he means happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, I Thanks, <laughs> thanks for watching. Good for the translation. Thanks. <laughs>